All right, so we've got Mark chapter 14 and the Last Supper, Mark's version of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And I am so excited about this passage. I am so blown away by just the the whole ceremony of the Lord's Supper. I'm thankful that we do this every week um, because there is so much incredible theology and, and uh, so much to life that's, that's built into this act of worship that Jesus himself has given to us, the church. Um, I'm going to scratch a little bit of the surface of that, but basically I want to answer this basic question. What is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? Um, so let's just walk through the Lord's Supper part of this portion. First of all, there's the bread part, verse 22. And they were eating. He took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And we're going to go to the blood next. And you'll note that there's a distinction between the bread that's given and the blood that's given. The bread is given and the blood is given as part of the covenant. Um, bread is a symbol of life. And we see in John chapter six, this is what Jesus says about himself. He said, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. And he's talking about the manna that God sustained the nation of Israel for 40 years with in the desert. Every morning there would be this mysterious bread-like substance that was like dew spreading the ground. And they would gather what they needed for that day and they were able to live on the manna. It's a bread from heaven. God was the one that provided it for them. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. What's that? They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now he's talking spiritually there. Jesus provides the bread of spiritual life. When we are consuming Jesus and whatever that means, we need to explore and figure out what that looks like. Living by, abiding in, walking with. We will not be spiritually hungry. We will not be spiritually thirsty. So when we take the bread each week, we are being reminded that I don't get my life, my purpose, my meaning, my significance. That doesn't come from anything but Jesus. Really important that we're reminded of that every week. My significance, my purpose, my life comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. He gives meaning to my life for all the other things that I do in my life. Not my work, not my family, not my abilities, not my lack of abilities, not my lack of family, not my lack of good family, whatever it might be. None of those things define you. Jesus is what defines you. He's the one that gives us life. And that's what my soul needs. We are designed by God. God designed humankind to be in relationship with God. And our whole problem from the very beginning was the separation of our sin. We, we voluntarily on our own chose to walk away from God. Every single one of us down to the last person. And we were out here starving in the desert spiritually because we're not in the life receiving the bread of life. So I'm not literally receiving it when I take communion every, every week. It's a symbol that reminds me. I'm mentally saying, hey, 
This is who I need for my life. And then going on in Mark, he talks about the cup, the blood. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And here's the important statement. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And a couple of the other gospels add the word new, the new covenant. And we have multiple times in the Old Testament where it was prophesied that there would be a new covenant. And it's described in the Old Testament like this covenant. And we won't, I don't have time to get into all of that, but it, it's a whole world that opens up that's all aimed at this, that Christ is the new sacrifice. Now look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, which runs through all of this. In fact, all the book of Hebrews is phenomenal when it comes to this stuff. He says, indeed, under the law, in other words, that's the rules, that's the expectation, what's right and wrong, almost everything is purified with blood. In other words, if, if, if I have broken the law, there has to be a penalty for that, for there to be justice. If there isn't a penalty for breaking the law, then there's no justice. So, so blood had to be spilled on behalf of, and in, in all of the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system that he was creating, he was helping the nation of Israel and now us through the Old Testament to understand this concept that blood has to be spilled and now, and also that it's possible that blood can be spilled on your behalf. Because he says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But as it is, a couple verses down, as it is, he has prepared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Really, really important here. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. This is the way of life. Every single person dies. And after death, you face judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await for him. He was the sacrifice that's offered and given to us to pay for sin once and for all. Really massive, massive idea. So when I'm receiving the bread, again, I'm receiving and being reminded that I need Jesus to be my life. He is the bread of my life. He's the sustainer of my spiritual, my soul, all of that. And when I receive the cup, I'm being reminded that this is, I'm, I'm under a new covenant. I'm being reminded that Jesus had to die for my sin. Now let's look at another important detail that's in this passage because he has this really awkward and I'm sure very painful and really intense interaction with his disciples related to Judas, who we know is plotting to, to um, betray him. It says, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. You know, this is a very intimate moment, especially in Middle Eastern culture. When you're together like that, eating with, with your close friends, especially sharing food like that, there's a closeness there. So this idea that someone in that place 
would betray another person is really significant. So this, I, you know, especially in their culture, in any culture, this would hit like a ton of bricks. And so the disciples responded. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another. I mean, you can almost hear it like, I would never do that. But are you saying, is it possible? Could you, is it I? You know, they're, you, you know, they're possibly saying, please let me know because I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the one that, that does that. Please tell me it's not me. You know, one by one. And this is how he answers. He said to them, it is the one, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And we don't have a lot of detail in Mark, but you can fill in all the details where they're close enough together that they're both dipping their bread at the same time. And then it is known who that person is. And Jesus says, for the son of man goes as it is written of him. In other words, He's referring to all the many prophecies in the Old Testament that describe the purpose and the process and who the Son of Man's, his purpose, what he's supposed to do. And he's saying, that is my destiny. That's where I'm headed. But, in other words, in contradiction to me having a destiny, my friend, Judas, you don't have a destiny. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. In other words, this is a warning. I mean, just in this intimate moment, he's getting another warning to turn. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In other words, it would be better for you not to be born than to face the wrath of God that comes because of your sin. This is your opportunity, Judas, to turn. Well, this is our opportunity as well. Every week when we are taking communion, we are being reminded that Jesus was offered as a sacrifice. And I don't get to decide the terms of this new covenant. I don't get to dictate to God what's right, what he calls right and wrong. If he calls something sin, I have to take him at his word. My choice is just to accept or reject the covenant that's offered. I don't get to make edits or revisions to what he's offering to us. And Jesus is offering to Judas, hey buddy, this is your chance to turn. So what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? Let's take a minute just to go back to Exodus chapter 12. Great chapter that is the institution of the Passover. I would encourage you to go read that carefully and see all the connections between the Lord's Supper and the Passover meal, which they've just finished celebrating together. And he tells them in his instructions to Israel, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? In other words, they were to celebrate the Passover every single year. And, Judas, and Jews to this day celebrate the Passover year after year after year. And it's meant to teach. And it's meant to remind them you know, and your children will say, what do you mean by this service? And you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. They're to be reminded year after year that God rescued them from slavery and that God put the punishment on Israel or excuse me, uh, Egypt. He brought his judgment on them. So what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? 
based on Exodus, I've given you a simple definition. It's a little clumsy, but I'm trying to connect it to Passover. The meaning of the Lord's Supper, we remember that God's judgment passed over me and he struck Jesus instead. And Jesus now gives me life. So if you have never accepted the gospel for the first time, this is your opportunity to admit that I need a sacrifice to go in my place. I have sinned. To acknowledge to God that, yes, you're right. I have fallen short of your holy standard. No matter how small the sin is, that is not God's holy standard. And then to realize and, and with joy accept the gift that Jesus gives us, that by faith we believe that Jesus, you have paid for my sin. And so when I'm taking communion, I'm, I am celebrating it fully and being reminded that that is the new covenant, his blood spilled in my place. And if you are already a Christian, the it's all the same idea because we get saved by faith when we first start in our walk with Jesus, but we continue by faith in Jesus as we walk, admitting and understanding more and deeper the, our sin and realize that, okay, what I did, the thing that I said to my wife, the, the short word and the impatience that I gave to my children or um, the selfishness that I was showing at work or whatever it might be to admit and realize that yeah, that's sin. And I don't fix that by working harder. Only Jesus can fix that. And so when we take communion, we're being reminded again. We're being reminded again that Jesus died in my place, that he's the one that gives my life full meaning by bread. His blood is the one that paid the price for me. I don't pay that price. And I'm being reminded again of both the bad news that I'm a sinner and the good news that I have life. I am forgiven. I am righteous before God because of Jesus, not because of me or anything that I've done or not done. That is the power and the beauty of this worship element that we do every week in celebration of Jesus' sacrifice for us. So what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? It is to be reminded of who he is in my life today, yesterday, and tomorrow.